Thank you for what you want to do in our hearts today. Lord, we open up our hearts to you to receive from your word what you want to speak to us, Lord. We invite you to challenge us, to encourage us, to draw us to yourself this morning, to remind us what your word says in a world that's lost its mind. Help us to go to the truth of the word of God this morning and to find clarity and peace in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give someone a punch in the kidneys and grab a seat this morning. (laughs) Well, as we've said, it's good to be in church together this morning. And we are kicking off a new seven-week series leading up to Easter called Biblical Algorithms. Biblical Algorithms. And even... This is the exciting part, it's out of the book of Revelations. So Revelation is a book that notoriously we don't talk a lot about in church. I don't know why, but I guess it's, there's a lot of complexity in the book of Revelation that can cause us to um, avoid that. Even as people going through our Bibles at times, we can find ourselves avoiding that book. But I really think there's some powerful messages in it. And really where we are living today... And the world that is uh, going on around and about us and the craziness and the times that we live in, there's plenty of things that the book of Revelation talks about. Things like wars and rumors of wars. Things that remind us the fact that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. And the kind of church that we are called to be. And we're going to be particularly looking at that over these seven weeks There is passages in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 that talk about seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, these were actual churches that existed, but they are speaking to us as the church today to remind us, if we want to be a church with a hope and a future, these are the things that we need to make sure that we take heed the warnings and take on the encouragements to be the kind of church that God has called us to be. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be an entertainment industry for fat Christians. I don't want us to be that kind of church. I don't want to just be a church that is entertaining people's um, social need in life. I want to be a church that meets the spiritual needs that we have, that understands that God is coming back for His church. Now, we don't know the day or the hour that that's going to happen. And so we need to be ready. The reality, I'm going to talk just plainly this morning. I'm going to talk bluntly this morning. I'm going to talk from the Bible this morning. It's not so much jokes and giggles this morning. I'm just going to give you the Word of God. And so here's the truth of these seven weeks. It's going to be challenging. Disclaimer straight up. There's going to be opportunity for offense. We're going to kick some sacred cows over in these next seven weeks. And it is going to be challenging. If you don't leave this series offended, I would be surprised. So any complaints you have, you can send them through to Tim Campbell at citychurchau.com and make sure they come straight through to him and he will look after all of the complaints. But this series, I really believe, is going to help you and understand the times that we live in. The reality is heaven and hell are real. 
Now, we love to give a nice message about grace and all those things. And the truth is that everything that we teach, the Bible is about love and grace. But the reality is there is heaven and hell. And it gives us the urgency to make sure that we ourselves are living the kind of life that is uh, found, founded in Jesus, that we're connected to Him, that we are ready for when Jesus comes back, which could be at any time. And I like the fact that in every generation, the church has been ready. The church has said, you know what, at any moment, uh, Jesus could return. At any moment, that could happen. And so we need to be ready. But we also need to understand the book of Revelation isn't just about packing up our bags and living in heaven already. We have a purpose to outwork here on the earth. I was talking to some pastors just this week, and they were talking about uh, an older pastor that was in their world. And uh, he got so... Uh, ingrained in living in the future that he did his whole years of ministry just thinking that God was going to come back tomorrow and therefore never planned for the future and they 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 talked about our older pastors and they talked about how they helped move this guy into a caravan park to retire because he'd never lived in the now even with his faith ready for the next and I think the revelation is a reminder to us that we need to be ready in our spirit we need to have an urgency that heaven and hell is real that we need to be ready that we need to make sure we are connected with Jesus And if the world has showed us anything, it's shaken up everything over these last couple of years to remind us, hey, what's important? So we need to have an urgency about that. But we also need to understand God's called us to live purposefully. And so there is a world to reach. We're not just packing our bags and getting into heaven ourselves, but we have a mission here on earth while we are here. Now that mission may stop or change at any time if God takes us home or the rapture takes place. But we need to be preparing and moving forward. And so this series is going to have a connect group curriculum that's running alongside of it. And I want to encourage you. There's two different ways that we learn. We learn from uh, both teaching in this kind of environment and we learn in circles. And that's the reality of how universities work. It's the reality of how we study and learn in our schools and and, and workplaces. That's how we, we learn. And so I want to encourage you, you're missing out if today I'm speaking to you and you can talk about your offense and you can counsel each other in your connect groups uh, through, through the week and be able to have that time to unpack what we've talked about in Sunday service. I hope I don't offend you too much. But you can unpack that in your uh, in the environment of a connect group. And so I want to encourage you to be part of that. There's video teaching that goes with that. There's notes. And there's a great chance to be able to connect together. And so we're going to be talking this morning particularly about the church that's abandoned its first love. And I think we've seen the evidence of that at times for the church around the world. And when I'm talking about the church this morning, just understand I'm not just talking about City Church. I think our church is fantastic. I think our people are committed. I think our people love God. But I, I just think that in general, we're talking about the church we want to be and we need to be sharpened and challenged. We're going to be talking next week about the church that remains faithful amidst persecution. And I wonder at times whether we as the Western church have a misguided understanding of what persecution is. I wonder whether putting a mask on or signing in with a QR code is really the kind of persecution that people are talking about when they've been raped, murdered and killed for their faith and we're saying, hey, I can't put a mask on, but I've got to take up my cross and follow Jesus, (laughs) except for I can't put the mask on. So I wonder at times whether we understand in the West what really persecution is. What about the church that compromises its beliefs? I wonder whether people over this time have become less committed to Jesus, 
less committed to our convictions, less committed to our faith, less committed to our church community, perhaps over this period of time where we have merely watched on when a small majority of Christians around the world have carried the weight of the church. I wonder whether we've been reminded of what really a disciple is, what it means to be a disciple and not just an attendee at church. What about the church that follows false prophets? Why didn't Donald Trump win the 2020 election when it was prophesied? Why didn't some of these things that have been spoken about in 2020, I've had a huge amount of prophecies sent to me about that COVID was going to disappear on Easter 2020, it didn't happen. Why haven't some of these things happened? Were they false prophets? Were they Looney Tune Christians? Were they people that were correct and we haven't understood it? There's plenty of things that we could evaluate about that, but what we need to know is that as believers in Jesus, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. There's so many things out there and I'm not trying to diss anybody or put anybody down but I'm just saying there is a lot of noise out there. We need to have discernment to be able to hear as the true church what is Jesus saying? What does the word of God say? Have I offended anyone yet? The church that is spiritually dead. Are we an entertainment industry? Are we just a a church that's just getting together for social community? Or are we a church that's come to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, built on the Word of God? What about the church that patiently endures despite weakness? We need to make sure that we continue in the faith and the church with a lukewarm faith. Are we passionate about Jesus? Are we passionate about the future? See, there's a lot of Christians that would say, hey, I don't need the church. But what you don't realize is if you're a believer, you are the church. And the church is you. Wherever you are, you're the church and we need each other. See, the church builds disciples and disciples build the church. And so they go hand in hand together. And if we're talking about being true disciples and being ready for when Jesus comes back at any moment, understanding heaven and hell is real, understanding the importance of our faith, that it changes everything. It's not an element of our life. It's the central part of our life that everything else comes out of, if we truly understand that, then we start to live from, from that place of being a true disciple of Jesus, understanding what that means and it changes everything. It builds the church and the church builds disciples. We go hand in hand. And so, let's this morning, let's get to the first one before I offend any more people. The church that lost its first love. We're talking about biblical algorithms. The Bible is our sole source of truth. It's the authority that we as believers live our life upon. We have a lot of people talking about their truth in today's day and age. Well, there's only one truth because truth is not truth if there's multiple truths. There's only one truth that we can really stand upon. And as a believer in Jesus, what we are claiming and what we are saying is that this is the Word of God. This is the truth for our life. And so when we're talking about biblical algorithms, we're talking about being built on what the Bible says. Algorithms are a sequence of well-defined instructions to be used as specifications for performing, processing, reasoning, and decision-making. Algorithms help you on your social media to be able to, when you like something, they they actually attract you to those things. And so you all of a sudden on your feed, those things are popping up all the time. And what we're doing this morning is we're talking about what does the Bible say, because we want that to be the algorithm for our life, to make sure we are disciples of Jesus. Making sure that over these next seven weeks, we really dig in to what it means. And so the book of Revelations, the ancient, ancient Greek word, 
is translated for revelation is apocalypsis, which is the word that we get, apocalypse. So the word is a compound word which is found 18 times in the New Testament, and it combines the Greek word apo, which means to lift, and kalupta, which means the veil, to hide, and to cover. And so the book of Revelation literally means the lifting of the veil, or the unveiling. That's what that book actually means. So Revelation, we start to peer through and we start to see the unveiling of what God is speaking to us as the church. The book of Revelation was written by John and it was written with an angel dictating to John what those things were. So John, and we see the book of John in the Bible and John 1, John 2, John 3, John wrote this book when he was on the island of Padmos. Now, that island was like Alcatraz. It was an island that was isolated by water. It was barren in the wilderness. And here, here he was in this place where you would think nothing good's going to come out of it. And God chooses to speak this powerful book of revelation to John in that place. Who knows God can do some crazy good things in isolation? <laughs> God can do some crazy good things in places we would not have expected. And so he speaks this word to John. He speaks revelation to him and he opens it up. And so we look at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which is really talking about the seven churches of Asia Minor. And it's an encouragement to us that each of, the, each of these churches give us a warning and an encouragement to us as the church today. So if you've got your Bibles, come with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And we're looking at chapter... Chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Talking about the seven churches. He says this, I know your deeds, city church, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nickelodeons, which I also hate. Those practices, just for your information, were they were living with cheap grace. The kind of grace that allows you to be able to operate as they lived in sexual sin and all those things and they said oh that's okay we don't have to change we just live a sinful life and they allowed that and the second element of their life is there was a difference between both the clergy and the laity in other words the pastor and the congregation there was a sense that the pastor thought that they were better than everybody else and so therefore they had extra benefits and lived a better life and, and at an elevated level to everybody else. And can I just say this? If you're living like that as a leader, you've got leadership wrong. Leadership is about serving other people. Leadership is not about elevating yourself. And if you think you're the king because you're the leader, you've missed the whole point. That's not what a spiritual leader is. You're here to serve those people that are around you. You're no better than anybody else. It's a good reminder for leaders. And I'll tell you what, a lot of leaders during this COVID period have completely lost their confidence and faith because they had it in the wrong things. 
They had it in the esteem of the congregation, but all of a sudden overnight, the congregation wasn't there. It was a camera. They had it in the esteem of people telling them they were good and they were great and all the success of what they had built. And all of a sudden, that went overnight. And people had to realize, actually, our esteem is actually found in Jesus. Our confidence is found in Him, nothing else. And so we should never forget that as leaders. It says here, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. First love. I wonder whether over time, we found ourselves in a place where we are going through the motions of our Christian life, but we've actually forgot the why and the element of love that we actually represent. I remember when Cooper was born, our firstborn. I just remember when he was born, this sense of overwhelming love for this child. He's seven today, he's going to be turning eight in June. And I don't know all the factors for it and why, but just the overwhelming sense of, I just love this kid. I think there was a lot of different elements to it. My mum and my dad passed away when I was younger and it felt like I've got my own family now. And I just loved this child as he was born. I remember being at the hospital and as I just held him and was just with this child, I just loved him so much. And even when I wasn't at the hospital, I was looking at photos of him and I just thought, I can't believe that I am privileged enough to be this kid's dad. I was just so in love. Just so in love with this child. I remember when he was a couple of weeks old, I was laying on the floor with him and I was trying to take a selfie. And as I was trying to take the selfie, I dropped the phone and it bumped onto his cheek. And I was that terrified that I was, I'd almost killed this child. I, 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 took, I took him to the doctors. I went into the doctors. There wasn't even a mark on his face, mind you. And, I, and I, went, I think I went to the hospital, actually. I went to the hospital and I said, look, I've dropped the phone from this distance. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I hope this kid's okay. He might need scans. And the doctor said, whoa, 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 whoa. Mate, there's not even a mark on this kid's face. He's fine. But it just showed how attentive... I was, I just loved this child. I didn't want anything to happen to him. But isn't it funny how time goes on and then a child gets older and they start to do things that frustrate you. <laughs> it's like selective hearing kicks in at such a young age and they're not hearing what you're saying anymore and you're getting frustrated and, and, and I have to admit and repent, there is times where I've got so frustrated and I've had to remind myself, what a blessing this child is. He is a gift from God. And remind myself of the love that I have for him, even at times where I've got frustrated. Now, this church is 40 years old this year. I don't know, there's probably a few people that have been here at this church for the majority of that time. 40 years is a long time. You've seen some highs and you've seen some lows at City Church. You've seen the ups and downs of life. You've seen people come. You've seen people go. You've seen offense. You've probably been offended multiple times. You've probably caused offense. It's, it's all happened. 40 years, it happens over that period of time. But what can happen in 40 years? Can we just get in the motions of church? Can we just get in the rhythms of faith? and lose our love for God, our love for people. 
It's like in a marriage. It starts off so beautiful. The dating, you're caring about one another, and then you live together, then you're doing life together, then there's stresses and worries. And has anybody ever found themselves in that place, don't put your hand up, where you're frustrated with your partner and this first love that you had, it's no longer feeling like love anymore. It's feeling like, oh, resentment perhaps or frustration. And I think that can happen in our faith. That can happen in our relationship with Jesus. Things happen in life and we can find this distance that's there. And that's what they're talking about in this passage here about losing our first love. There's a few things in this passage to note. The first one's this, it's possible to be committed but not connected. See, some of the things that the church of Ephesus that we're talking about here were doing really well. They were hardworking. They patiently endured in tough times. They didn't tolerate evil people. They examined people's lifestyle and fruit. They weeded out liars. They patiently suffered for Jesus. They didn't quit. These are the things that God is encouraging them on. You know what they all speak to? They all speak to commitment. They were committed. I'm at church. Hands are lifted. Wearing the right clothes. Saying the right things. Showed up at Connect Group. Did everything I was meant to do. I led. I did the five-step five, five step challenge that Ben talked to me about. Super Christian. But it's like, it's so easy to do all of those things, but forget that everything we do is about connection. It's about being in a living relationship with Jesus. It's understanding that our commitment to the cause of Christ comes out of our connection to Christ. Have you lost your passion for the church? Have you lost your passion for people? Have you lost your passion for your partner? Have you lost your passion for God? It all comes back to coming back to God, to coming to Him again and saying, yeah, it's great to be committed, but it's even greater to be connected. And our commitment must come out of a place of connection. If you've lost that sense of connection, start to focus on the connection again, not the commitment. Start to focus on what really matters. You know, the second thing we, we, we notice here is it's possible to represent love, but not walk in love. It says in this passage, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You know, the Pharisees, they took the Ten Commandments and they took, and they took them and they turned them into 600 laws that people had to then abide by. How easy is it to take our faith and to complicate it and make it so much harder than it needs to be. To put laws on people, put expectations on people. I think about that even as I get older, how much that I've still got to have grace for the next generation coming through. Because somebody older than me had grace for me. And I even find it now at my age, I find it like I can get frustrated with younger people. Like, well, why aren't they doing that? Why aren't they doing that? Why aren't their life together? Why, isn't they, why aren't they doing the right things? Hold on a second. I remember when I was 19. I remember when I was running wild and someone loved me through it. Someone cared enough about me to, to, to say, you know what? I believe in you. Even when you show no signs of being worthy to be believed in. Someone believed in me. And I wonder whether sometimes we, we represent love, but we don't walk in love. So when it's talking about this first love here, it's talking about our love for God, and it's talking about our love for people. 
That's what it's talking about. And it's really easy to miss that that is the central point of what Christianity is all about. We miss the point. You know, it says in the last days that the love of many will grow cold. The warning to the church, the love of many will grow cold. I wonder this morning, has your love grown cold for God? Has your love for people grown cold? And this morning could be a correction. This morning could be like Amy spoke about, a heart check. We say, hold on a second, all the stuff around it, the activity, doesn't matter if love and relationship with Jesus and loving people is not the central point of what we do. We've missed it. We've missed it. So committed, but not connected. What about this one? It's possible, it's possible to be in an environment of discipline, but still drift. How far you have fallen, it says. See, your service can't save you. Your hard work can't redeem you. Your discipline is not your God. Your knowledge can't replace intimacy, and your good works can't replace relationship. Christianity is about relationship with Jesus. See, it's possible to be in an environment of discipline and still drift. How many people have walked away from God while still being in church on a Sunday? I think we could probably all honestly raise our hand and say, we've all had seasons where we've done that. We've been in church. We've been in connect group. We've had our hands lifted. But our hearts are so far from God. Our hearts can have resentment and bitterness and not that softness of love for one another. What about Judas? He was in the greatest discipleship program that you could ever be in. It's the most encouraging thing for a pastor to know that even Jesus lost one. I mean, the greatest church you could ever be in, Jesus himself walking the earth, being your pastor. You're in his connect group. He's doing the discipleship program. He puts three years to train you up. And Judas still walks away. See, it's so possible for our heart to be so far, even though we're in an environment of discipline. We're in a church environment, but yet we have drifted so far from God. So what do we do when we start to drift from God? We're given instructions of what to do when we have start to lose our first love in this passage. And it says this, the first thing to do straight out of the Bible. Number one is consider. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. You know, one of the things we don't do in this day and age that we live in is we don't often take time to consider to reflect, to meditate upon our lives, to take a moment and take stock. We are so busy going to the next that we don't reflect on where we actually are. How can you get to the next if your heart is so far from God? How can you get to the next if there's so much that's caught up in here? That's why it says in the Bible to guard your heart Above all else, you can come and smile on Sunday. You can tell the preacher he's preached a great word. You can do all of the right things. But what's going on in here, God knows. 
and you know. But it takes time to consider it. I want to ask you this morning not to hear a message. I want to ask you this morning for you personally to consider how far have you fallen? Where is your love this morning? Is it there? Or have you got caught up on a whole bunch of doing and activity? You've stopped being. Being in love. Being with God. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person, it says in Proverbs. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Does your routine reflect your relationship with God? Does your outside life reflect your inside life? Has your love for God and others grown cold? This morning... We've got to heed this warning. We're committed. We're doing all the the right things. We've got a list of seven things that we're doing good. But God says, hey, hold on, Church of Ephesus, Church, City Church, hold on a second. You got the commitment right. But how's the connection? Because you got it the wrong way around. The commitment comes from the connection. And if we start building a church which has just got commitment, which is like scaffolding around it, but we don't have the heart of Jesus, we've missed it. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be like Jesus, which means it's got to come from the inside out. It's got to come from our heart. The second thing this morning is a word that we do not like in the Western world. Repent. It says consider. (laughs) See, I told you we don't like it. Consider how far you have fallen. It says, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, repentance is something that we don't like and we react so poorly in the world and society that we live in today. It's so hard for us to humble ourselves and actually say sorry to somebody that we've wronged. We don't like it. We hate it. We don't like the feeling of weakness that that creates in this world that tells us we've got to be strong and have it all together. But actually, repentance is actually strength. It's not weakness. It takes a strong person to repent. It takes a a truly secure and humble person to repent. So we find it hard to offer repentance, to say sorry to somebody. But on the other way, our world doesn't react to it very well either. We have this cancel culture that when someone's wronged us, instead of forgiving them, we cancel them. We just cut them out of our lives. We tell them that they can no longer exist anymore, that every part of their influence is gone. That's not biblical. Repentance. It's both what we give and what we receive. Repentance will always lead you to Jesus. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It takes a truly humble person to repent. And I guess what I'm asking you this morning is not to walk out of this place and say, oh yeah, nice message. I'm asking you to take it personally and say, hey, where in my heart have I got it wrong? I had to get on my knees a couple of days ago and say, God, where have I just got this wrong? 
when my prayer life is just a bunch of lists of things I want? Where have I got this wrong where I've got caught up in the motions and forgot the heart of what you want? So my dad was somebody that loved to make sure that there was peace in our family. He would always come and if there was some wrong between us, he would come and apologise. He'd almost apologise to me every night. And I think, and I reflect upon that now, and I think, how humbling is that for a father to come to a son and be the initiator when pretty much probably 99% of the times I was the one that had wronged him, to initiate peace and to come and say, hey, I want to repent for anything that I may have done wrong in that. It's so against the world that we live in. I think for all of us as leaders and people that want to be influencers in this world, we need to understand that we have got to take the first step. We've got to be the ones that initiate repentance, to humble ourselves and to say sorry. You know, it says it so clearly in the Bible that if we would humble ourselves and pray, that God would come and heal our land. But oftentimes we're just so busy, caught up in what we're doing, we don't actually do the humbling, the repenting, the apologizing. We talk about grace and love, but we often don't talk about repentance. Repentance is what turns you to that. Repentance is a 180 degree turn. Talks about in the Bible producing fruit in keeping with repentance. It means there's a change that takes place. We've got to repent. And finally, it says here repent and do the things you did at first. Do you remember when you just loved Jesus and it wasn't complicated? Well, you haven't had that offense of those stupid people from City Church that have hurt you and offended you and those leaders and those people that have said and done things and they didn't say hello to you when you walked past them and you didn't want to go to church anymore because the people, they're all hypocrites. You forgot you're a hypocrite too. <laughs> and it's like we get so frustrated and we get so complicated and we get so bent out of shape that we just forget it's actually all about love. That's why it's the first church that's listed. Because it's the most important thing. Everything we do represents love. You know, simplicity of a child that loves their parents, it's uncomplicated. They just love their parents. As time goes on, it's easy to think about the weaknesses in your parents, the flaws, to let things get in between that relationship and that frustration. Can I tell you, God's the perfect one, not you. If there's an issue, it ain't God. So we have to come to a place of repentance. He's a perfect father. He loves you. He's not turning his back on you. And what we have to do is we have to set a plan. What was life like when I just was in love with Jesus? What was life like when I just loved people genuinely and I wasn't complicated? I just had that sense of love. What about in a dating relationship? What, what did you do? Well, we did things where we set a plan. If we wanted to fall more in love with someone, we'd set a plan to fall more in love. We carved out the time. We booked the date. We booked the restaurant. We locked in important occasions. We made that person feel special. We took the time that was necessary. We told them we loved them. We spent time devoted to that person, not caught up in the distractions of the world. We made them feel like they were the most valuable person in the world. 
the marriage goes on and they're irritating now. <laughs> you want your own space. <laughs> hey, what if we've become like that with God? And we've got so caught up in all of the other things that we've actually forgot. When God comes back for his church, your outside appearance isn't going to matter. Your clothes, you're raising your hands on Sunday. I'm sure, I'm 100% sure there will be people in a church building that will be missed in the rapture. Even possibly with their hands lifted. Because what's going on in here is actually what matters. And unfortunately, in the West and in our Christian experience, we care way too much about this. It doesn't matter if you're ugly, if you're saved. It doesn't matter if your personality doesn't fit in the box, if you're saved. Your approval, your acceptance comes from Jesus. We like the flashy. We like the lights. We like the preacher that tickles our our appetite and makes tells us funny stories and makes us feel good and we walk away consider repent do hey that's what the bible says not what ben says i thought about telling you lots of funny stories and making it less challenging this morning and then i thought i've got too much respect for this it doesn't matter what ben says and if i build this church on what i say Gee, we've, we've missed it. Biblical algorithms bringing us back to what it's about. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Would you stand with me this morning? It would be amiss of me this morning not to give you a chance to respond not to me but to God doesn't matter what you look like in this moment on the outside it only matters what's going on in here and just over these next three to five minutes or so forget about picking up the kids from kids church forget about Sunday lunch forget about what's coming up and do a hard assessment this morning God, what really matters? That song, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it when it's all about you. So I can't make this moment happen. All I can do is invite you to consider, to repent, and to do what's going to lead you to Jesus. Jesus.